Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the mic for thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversation and commentary. In this episode, Tim Venable, Senior Vice President of Content Development and Research at Cornet Global, discusses workplace trends with three colleagues from SDG Design. So, as we get underway, uh, gentlemen, if you would, um, please uh, introduce yourselves briefly. Um, Dave, perhaps we could start with you. All right, good. Thank you. Appreciate uh, uh, being on this call. Uh, my name is Dave Johnston, and I'm currently uh, the manager of the Nashville office for STG Design, and even more presently, I'm now the CEO uh, from an interim perspective as we, we look through some transition and succession uh, plans that we have in place right now. I've been with the company uh, 29 years, and and I am an architect by trade and a manager by heart. And my name is Paul LeBrant. I'm an associate principal over at STG Design in our Austin office, uh, primarily working on uh, workplace design for uh, tech and high-tech companies, uh, both in Austin and abroad. And I have uh, nearing 25 years of experience and four of those being at STG. And rounding out the crew, I'm Jim Sussman. I'm a principal with STG Design and have been at STG in the Austin office uh, since 1982. Hmm. We won't add those years for you. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks, gentlemen, for talking with Cornet Global today about trends in workplace and in design. That's a great topic, very much of interest to our members, and we thank you for sharing your insights and expertise with us today. Oh, thank you. So the the first question, and I'll just toss these out and you can respond as, as, as you like. So the first one is just a, the general question. Just tell me a little bit about some of your experience uh, with designing workspaces. I would say, this is Paul, uh, I would say that we've come a long way from planning offices and workstations just to meet headcounts, but to planning work environments for employees to create and collaborate, innovate and, and produce in a way that is focused more on them uh, and that workflow rather than just trying to meet headcount in uh, a floor plate. So the next question, what are the big trends you're seeing today in, in workplace design? We'll be talking about uh, those topics over the next few minutes, but if you had to just take it up to a high level, what are the really big trends that you're seeing in terms of what what big companies, you know, Fortune 500 type clients are looking for in their in their workplace design? And I'm going to let this is Dave. I'm going to let Paul talk about the specifics. As he does do this every day, and is really probably the best in our firm at at understanding what those specific needs are. But in in a nutshell flexibility is really understanding from each one of our clients how do we provide a flexible workplace uh, that's specific to each one of their needs. Second is really digital transformation and understanding in this ever-changing world of, of technology what does digital transformation mean at the work at the workplace and at the desktop. And third to that is really wellness. In general the, the health both psychological and physical 
uh, are extremely important uh, as we see in our clients and we, as we hear them talk about the things that, that are most important to them is creating well environments that uh, their employees can, can be productive in. So coming down from 35,000 feet uh, to something that the everyday person is looking for, uh, providing a variety of different work environments for people to work throughout the day because in reality, people sitting down at the desk for eight hours in a day just doesn't really exist anymore. And that's part of what Dave was talking about with wellness, uh, people getting up and moving around, but finding different places to be able to be productive. So having those flexible environments, uh, whether that's a lounge or a collaborative or a working cafe, those all come into productivity, but also it provides different environments to, uh, for people to do different things. And with uh, a lot of open environments, we do see a lot more integration of phone rooms and phone pods, whether that's a furniture or an architectural solution. Having people uh, have the opportunity to find quiet spaces to make these phone calls. Um, and you'll hear this a lot, but quality coffee is always a great motivator. And we've seen a lot of trends for integrating kegs of kombucha nitro or cold brew coffee, as well as uh, continued catered lunches uh, for larger tech companies or even smaller tech companies just allows for more of a family environment for everybody to get together, share ideas, uh, and keep people in the office and allow that um, creativity to go into the lunchroom. You know, Paul Mitch is a really, really interesting idea, which isn't new by, by any stretch. Uh, we were working with a, a client about five years ago. Uh, he was the CEO of a five to 600 person tech firm. And he told us he could not spend enough money on free food uh, to keep his employees happy. If it costs a quarter million dollars to put in a really nice, robust caterer's kitchen, that was money well spent because the, money, the amount of money that it took uh, for, for the, really that it costs for people to go off-site uh, for quality food um, way outweighs the cost of just putting in uh, a kitchen and providing types of quality food that really keep people there. And Tim, this is Jim Sussman. The, you know, the underlying driver for most of the corporate clients we have now is the heightened uh, attention to recruitment and retention. So each and every one of these uh, items that uh, Paul and Dave have mentioned uh, kind of revolve around uh, how competitive recruitment of great talent is and the effort to keep them for as long as possible. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, the competition for talent is hot, and so you've got to create that exciting, engaging workspace to uh, stand out in the crowd, as it were. Yeah, exactly. very, very true. I think there's also, uh, maybe this gets to the health component, again, this is Jim, there is the uh, quality of life, work-life balance that uh, many of the corporate users we work with are, are keenly sensitive to so that uh, they de-stress the work environment uh, in addition to providing the balance between time at the office and time off. Mm -hmm. And sure. a lot of what we talk about really sounds like we are speaking about tech firms, but a lot of the amenities in the work environments that we see that kind of filter up from higher education to the, the tech firms 
are really being seen in high-pressure situations like uh, financial trading companies and um, high-tech uh, and high-pressure lawyers. They're wanting to make sure that they have access to fitness areas to work out um, uh, those high-anxiety high jobs, but also having quiet rooms where people can decompress and focus. So all of these components kind of uh, bring together, whether it's in the office environment or accessible within the, the building of the, the community. You know, we work a lot with attorneys and law firms, which you would typically put on the other end of the spectrum from open office or, or tech-oriented firms. But what we're seeing is, is tech firms, tech companies, are really the initiators and drivers of what's new in office design, and we're seeing that impact even on uh, places like attorney offices. We're currently designing a few of those where collaboration rooms and open office is the new way to do to law firms, not just simply universal size offices, but uh, the change that we're seeing to create flexible workspace is is apparent really across the board. Mm -hmm. And I know that the um, the legal sector, the legal industry, has been sort of one of the last bastions of closed uh, fixed wall offices, but it sounds like they're moving more into the benefits of open space too. Well, they certainly see the benefit. However, uh, acoustical privacy security, those types of elements are still extremely important and really somewhat of the, the as the pendulum swings back away from, in some cases, open office uh, because of acoustics or privacy, uh, those types of things are still very apparent that, that we have to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a good segue. Earlier we were talking about, I think, um, Paul, it was you who, were, who was mentioning, you know, the need for you know, phone booths and places to take uh, phone calls and so forth to get away from noise and distractions and have some, some privacy. We have seen over the years, you know, sort of a move toward open plan. And Dave, you mentioned how maybe the pendulum is swinging back a little bit. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Where do we really stand now in terms of what, what companies are asking for in terms of open, fixed? And again, Paul, I think you might have mentioned you know, that it's all about having options. You need options and different spaces to go to get the specific work done that you want to get done so you can interact in different ways, whether it's group collaborative work or fixed, you know, heads down time. What's, what's the big picture of what clients seem to be asking for today in terms of that overall layout? So the pendulum, is, as we all have been talking about, uh, tends to swing uh, based off of what the, the needs are. And with the idea of this open office, and, and as you were stating, Tim, that uh, we're providing more uh, huddle spaces for four-person uh, uh, meetings as well as uh, single telephone rooms, the idea is to take the noisy components out of the uh, work area and put them into quieter zones. And a lot of times what we're finding is people are trying to do quiet work in these noisy kind of secluded areas. And so from a culture standpoint, we're trying to swap those and get um, the noisy components uh, into secluded areas. So I think the pendulum will always have a hybrid approach to open office versus private office with uh, the price of real estate uh, staying where it is lately. Uh, the cost benefit of being able to do a bunch of private offices just doesn't make a lot of sense. 
but neither does putting everybody into a three foot by six foot uh, desk stack side by side also doesn't make a lot of sense. So really the, the hybrid approach is putting some square footage back into these uh, floor plates and allow for some separation of these uh, activities. And I think that's when we're going to find uh, a healthier balance and more, um, more positive responses to the open environment, as well as just being able to communicate with the people that you work with and just having um, kind of a, a more proper culture of working next to other people in an office environment. You know, the, the end of the day answer is it depends. It really does depend on, on the client and the type of company and the culture that they have. I mean, it's rare that we'll see the need or, or a client ask us for a 100% closed wall office environment. But occasionally it does happen. This could be a, a security or a governmental uh, entity that that is really uh, more in tune towards intelligence uh, from a security perspective. Uh, but that's a that's a rarity. Most of the time, there is a it's a variety of spaces to really to work with the different cultures and, and personalities that you have within every office. Sure. Okay. Now let's talk about some features of the space. I think we've actually commented on, on some of these already, but I'd be interested to get your thoughts on some features like, you know, color, varying colors, um, access to natural light, which of course is even mandated in some parts of the world, uh, wellness features that was mentioned earlier that's of crucial importance today. Now, what are you hearing about those, um, about those uh, elements and um, what role do they play in helping uh, the people in the space, you know, be, be happy, be engaged, and be productive? Well, as an interior designer, I will go on the record saying color is essential. But whether we purposely remove it or actually engage it is really based upon uh, the individual project and uh, the corporation. But color, um, or the use of tones of color can really help somebody kind of navigate a space or what we call wayfinding. Uh, it also provides uh, the opportunity for a branded experience as well as creating some uh, visual cues for people to do simple things like stop, pause, or go. Uh, so color has a lot of ways of being able to encourage moods, encourage activities. The warmer spectrum of colors tends to be more exciting, more engaging, where the coolers tend to be um, more softening and relaxing. So there's a lot of science associated with color, but then there's just the pure aspect of excitement and entertain and the use of it as, as artwork throughout the space. But you have touched, oh, go ahead, Jeff, uh, Dave. Just, uh, to reiterate what he's saying, I mean, color is branding in many, many cases, but the other thing to consider is, is color is local. Color is geographically um, predominant in some areas with certain colors and in other areas maybe not so much. Uh, the further north you go, there may be more of uh, a tendency towards one colorway versus uh, south or east or west, or you can imagine Miami versus uh, Seattle. There's always a difference based on geography. So that's something to be considered as well. This is Jim. <clears throat> Fortunately, what we're not seeing is the predominance of 
a couple of colors throughout the market. There's much greater variety across all spectrums, for lack of a better word. <clears throat> and fortunately, gone are the days of mauve and teal, which dominated you know, much of the early 80s, and I think uh, were maybe the basis for the variety we see today. Well, mauve and teal were Paul, are they coming back yet? <laughs> <laughs> they, they were here They're not coming year. back, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, we, um, there are a lot of trends with um, with color, which are amazing because uh, color color trends are predicted 10 years in advance. And there's a color forecasting group that really um, goes very much into uh, depth about what culture is uh, uh, providing in many regards, whether it's entertainment or fashion um, or uh, residential uh, and retail. And, uh, and how those colors come into play really is, uh, especially for the corporate market, takes about five years. Uh, the very first thing that we see come out with color tends to be um, in uh, quicker purchases like vehicles and nail polish and uh, clothing. And then as those uh, trends solidify, they tend to work their ways into our homes and our work environments. And so it's a constant move of uh, undulating from certain types of neutrals, uh, whether warmer or cooler. Um, so it, it's one of those things like our culture, you always have to have your thumb on the pulse to see how things are, are moving and, and, and growing. That's that fascinating, Paul. I never really thought of it that way in terms of, you know, the adaptation or the evolution of colors, but it, but it makes sense. Yeah, there is definitely a sequence, and as Paul said, it's often uh, uh, something dealing with advertising, which is almost daily and periodicals, to consumer goods, to larger you know, products, effectively houses, and then corporate buildings. You know, right. natural light is also one of these elements that uh, uh, has both a good and a, a maybe a not-so-good effect, depending on the type of work that you do. And Paul can really get into the details of it, uh, but natural light is is certainly good for the soul in many many ways. And from a sustainability perspective, the more daylight we can bring in, generally speaking, the more healthy the the occupants are. Uh, but we really have to watch how we bring that daylight in and deal with reflections and glare. Uh, depending if you spend your your day looking at a computer, for instance. Right, and and Dave is correct. We we're all humans and we all have a circadian rhythm, whether we, like the majority of the people work during uh, daylight hours, but even those that uh, pull the, the evening and the night shifts are still having to compensate for how their lives work with uh, the rising and the setting of the sun. And so in having access to your body, ref um, recognizing those changes during the day of what's happening outside, uh, gives you subtle cues on wrapping things up and, and moving on to the next part of your day. So if you're secluded into a, a, a windowless room for the majority of the day, your body loses touch with just the essential things of time. So, uh, so Tim, you also mentioned that there are uh, other countries in the world that actually mandate access to natural light in the workspace as well as literally uh, linear feet of glass uh, to the exterior for all workers. 
and we see that trend, or at least having um, a human right uh, to be able to have access to light kind of permeate into uh, our work culture. You just think about the other end of that, that move or trend is uh, going onto a game floor in Las Vegas where there's absolutely no natural light purposefully so that you can't tell what time it is. Uh, <laughs> certainly not something that we advocate for. That's right. They want you to stay there, don't they? <laughs> right. Um, I, I can certainly speak to the value of natural light. So in our offices here for Cornet Global Headquarters in downtown Atlanta, we're on the 30th floor of the Georgia Pacific Center, and we moved in here a number of years ago. And when we came into this new space and we saw these uh, you know, floor-to-ceiling windows with all the natural light coming in, everybody just went, wow. And it just lifted our mood and lifted our spirits and we have definitely felt that to be a, a real, real benefit. So, from my standpoint, I can certainly agree with your your comments about the um, the natural light. Well, that's probably a good segue into just thinking about health and wellness overall, and how important that is in the design of spaces. Uh, more and more, we realize the importance of creating a healthy environment and one where wellness is really, really put out in the front. And it's not simply just the physical health; it's it's the psychological health of the individual, you'll see more and more people taking time off for, for a mental health day, for instance, uh, and that having that psychological safety uh, put into the design is, is really, really important. And everyone knows the, the impact of, of someone who has a cold or a flu in the office and it's not taken care of immediately, it obviously can spread throughout the whole, the whole company. So understanding the, that from a physical perspective but then also just from a psychological perspective and creating rooms for um, mothers, for instance, or just having some time to, to get away from, from your, your coworkers as needed uh, for, for psychological reasons. Which I do often with you, Dave. Um, and I know that's why we're on the phone and not sitting in the room together. <laughs> I think it's also important to recognize that wellness programs have a financial impact on companies as well, uh, that by providing access to fitness and wellness rooms and healthy snacks and all of these other components to uh, address the physical and the mental wellness of their employees also has a reduction of insurance costs for these companies. So. Some of these programmatic needs that we put into projects are there to um, not only be beneficial to the, com uh, to the employees, but also reduce some of the overhead costs for, uh, for companies. You know, what we're really talking about is employee engagement. And one of the things that we're really starting to see is a, a common denominator in almost every client that we have. If they can keep their employees longer, if we can understand what retention and recruitment, as Jim mentioned earlier, what that means to their bottom line. It's creating a space where the employees feel safe, they they feel purposed, they have their roles clarified. Some of that is architectural and design related and some of it may be management, but it's creating those kind of spaces where not only are they productive, but we recognize the importance of rest. In, in having that balanced life, but uh, if we can help in any way in our, our design to help uh, help these companies get to their bottom line, which is really, at the end of the day, employee engagement. Sure, okay. Next, I'd like to turn to a topic that I think, Dave, you mentioned 
early on in your high-level trends, you mentioned digital transformation as one of those big business drivers that's affecting, uh, you know, business uh, operations and certainly workplaces. But what about technology in the workplace? What kinds of, you know, um, screens and cameras and these types of um, uh, equipment that uh, companies are installing more often these days? What's what's uh, on the leading edge of technology in the workspace? That's a, that's a great question because there's a number of things that are happening. And just we'll start kind of at the beginning of digital transformation. I think we can all remember when we would fax things. There are people in, in uh, that are born today that have never seen a fax machine. So <laughs> those types of things are we are our work is traditionally thought of as very paper intensive. We're doing projects now where no one prints paper. So the need for paper storage is gone. So digital reading of information, whether through uh, Adobe Acrobat, Bluebeam, all these different softwares out there has really changed the way that we design spaces. We're not, we're not designing spaces for large file rooms as, as much anymore. The other side to that is, is Obviously, Wi-Fi, but we're seeing the introduction of what we'll call Li-Fi, which is the lights themselves uh, are are actually the Wi-Fi um, uh, producers. So you can walk into a room, and the intelligence within the room knows who you are, what your schedule is, and what you like the setting for the room to be, whether it's the lights on or off or halfway or what the screen should be done. So that gets into integrated video conferencing, where we're seeing it on handheld devices uh, all the way through to, the, to the, the typical boardroom. So a lot of things, and I'll call that real-time uh, digital transformation, which gets into real-time digital collaboration on screen through a number of different software products that are out there. Uh, but uh, the bottom line is we, we are integrated with technology and understanding what that means. And it changes, you know, every 12 to 18 months anyway, but we have to stay on top of that. Um, the last thing, and then I'll let Paul and Jim speak into this, is really digital security. And we're starting to see where even Windows, window panes have a different Wi-Fi or IP address, depending on where you are in the room or in the building. So having security on all that is really, really being pushed up. Amazing. I will jump on that, and uh, digital security also is with uh, views to the digital components in a conference room uh, or a laptop screen. And uh, there are window films on the, the marketplace that basically neutralize a, a TV or a monitor on the wall. You can still totally see through and see what's going on in the room and still allow natural light to come in, but the people walking by can't see anything that's going on on the, the monitors. But also, uh, biometrics is also becoming uh, more prevalent in the security of stations, uh, whereas it used to be that all you really needed was a card key to get into a space, but now you have these second points of authentication of either uh, digital fingerprints or retinal scans are becoming more and more prevalent uh, in highly secured uh, atmospheres. But with uh, what Dave was talking about with Wi-Fi environments, we're seeing fewer and fewer uh, computers that are tethered to a workstation uh, right. or tethered to 
uh, a blue wire that, that connects in with them. So the idea that people are using a lot more um, uh, freedom of, of uh, work address, uh, working wherever they need to work, uh, the, the digital environment is, is supporting that, that effort as well. Also, uh, a lot more with conference room schedulers, um, as well as the use of like Google Hangout and Zoom, where a video conference can actually happen from anywhere in the world at a specific time. You know, you imagine uh, going to work where you really don't even have a desk and you sit around almost in a living room atmosphere and in front of you is a 15-foot long screen that has anywhere from a single image to, to 25. And on that image are different facets of one project. And in the midst of that are, is a video teleconference call going on with somebody in the room. I mean, what we're starting to see is really this, this online digital collaboration that is changing the way we design spaces and changing the way people work. It's, it's really pretty incredible to see what will happen over the next few years. Okay, fantastic. Some amazing things uh, being rolled out now and more, more yet to come, it sounds like. Always. So here's a little different kind of question, uh, gentlemen. And this has to do with how the supply and the demand sides of workplace uh, meet up or not. So. Specifically, what about the goals and the objectives of, say, the corporate real estate developer, the, the building owner, the landlord, the developer? How do their needs align with the needs and priorities of, say, the, the corporate tenant, the corporate HR, and the employers? And by this, I mean things like the floor plate and, and some of those things like that. Are, are, they, are they meshing? Are they aligning? Is there a conflict there? Just tell me about that. Well, this is Jim. You've kind of touched on it a bit. It, it varies, you know, certainly depending upon the size of the corporation or the entity <clears throat> and kind of what their their agenda is, uh, as well as the nature of whether it's a public or private entity. So on one side, on the private side, a full campus user uh, is going to be interested in uh, amenities and infrastructure that may be developed by an independent real estate developer before the corporation shows up, uh, in which case those, you know, that infrastructure can be both an enticement and an asset for the corporation moving in. I think the other component there is not just how amenities may be provided on a campus level, but the the mix of users on the campus. I think more and more you're seeing that corporate campuses may not be limited simply to those corporations that have office buildings on them. You're seeing uh, residential and retail uh, added to the campus communities to create a holistic uh, village of sorts. Um, to add to that. It really is a diversity of, of occupancy that, that we're starting to see more and more. Uh, just to help against one, one particular uh, portion of, of, of society, uh, you know, if it's a drop, for instance, in, in office rates or uh, high-tech uh, changes to becoming something else, 
having that diversity of space with retail and, and really a mixed-use development, nearly every larger project that we're seeing is, is mixed-use. It's very, very rarely is it a single-use uh, uh, building uh, at the sizes that we're seeing. You see that on the campus side, and you've touched on it, Tim, as well, on a single building uh, uh, effectively uh, put together, or a project put together by a real estate developer uh, with the multi-tenant goals for that building are all based on floor plate sizes in particular. And we've seen really over the last you know, two or three decades, there's been a slow growth in terms of the desired size of floor plates from things as little as 20,000 square feet uh, in the uh, late 80s and early 90s to you know, 40 to 50,000 foot floor plates these days. Um, so that's something that can be developer-driven in the interest of pursuing corporate uh, tenants for those buildings. And, we and certainly think, are seeing that, that trend towards larger floor plates. Uh, but I think as buildings begin to be designed with slightly different focus, for instance, no more uh, we're not storing uh, heavy file rooms and things like that. Buildings tend to become a little bit narrower or should from a daylight perspective. The, the challenge is always creating the optimal floor plate for the developer from a cost-driven perspective uh, to what is the optimum size for the occupant. And trying to marry those two together is, is really why, why you need architects and designers. The, the developer's relationship with the private sector user can be remarkably different than from uh, the standpoint of a public user. <clears throat> We've done a couple of uh, P3 projects, in which case the real estate developers uh, have a build-to-suit model uh, for a particular uh, governmental uh, department or agency uh, that allows uh, that public agency to lease back the product, and the developer is in the position of not simply developing a project and selling it, uh, but more so in the maintenance of it uh, over time to take it off the books of the public user, it becomes lease space rather than a purchase for any sort of governmental department. Yeah, those are really quite interesting because they're not just only a design build, it's a design build, finance, operate and maintain scenario, so a, a true turnkey development where uh, uh, the, the original developer is also operating and maintaining these buildings, so you can't simply take first cost as the only way uh, to, to solve the problem. It's really looking at the, the end run of 30 to 40 years. It's really quite a, a, a fascinating process. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's see. Just a couple of Additional questions, gentlemen. Here's one, amenities. Uh, Paul, I think you mentioned earlier that, you know, really good coffee is, is perhaps one of the most uh, requested amenities for employees. But whether it be a, a multi-tenant office building or single, uh, you know, tenancy, what beyond really good coffee sort of bubbles up to the top in terms of amenities in, a, in an office building? So, um with coffee, uh, the access to snacks and drinks during the day, uh, whether that's part of a wellness program or just being able to uh, stave off somebody leaving the office to go grab a Frosty down the street, 
uh, and continue working uh, tends to be there. We also talked about um, uh, having interesting uh, kegs available, kegs of kombucha, uh, cold brew or nitro coffee are also integrating into the office, whereas it used to be that, you know, it was just kegs of beer. So I think society is moving in a, a, a fun and different direction. Uh, but we're also seeing um, places for uh, Amazon deliveries and uh, access to um, concierge, uh, whether that's in a building, uh, a concierge that can help schedule things out of the office or be able to have a place where a company like Favor or um, I'm trying to think. Uh, right. Uber Eats to, to be able to drop things off, like I said, with Amazon Prime. Having rooms uh, of shelves so that those items can be dropped off. Uh, we still see basically a bunch of different needs, uh, but in essence, it's those things that are making uh, those employees' lives uh, easier. And that changes from company to company because the profile of those companies are also very different. Uh, the needs for uh, a law firm are going to be different uh, than the, the needs of uh, a gaming company. But <clears throat> to get to the underlying intent, though, uh, the intent really is to build teamwork, uh, which then supports collaboration. And so the more you can provide opportunities for employees to engage with one another, the stronger the team. And to be honest, the less likely people are to leave a company. <laughs> There have been a number of studies that have shown that people are far less likely to move from one company to another if their friends remain at that company. So that can be the real glue that helps to address issues of retention over time, uh, the amenities served to create those environments that build friendships. We're all going to look back one of these days, oh, yes, the amenity wars of 2018 to 2021, and realize that even in uh, the corporate world, but also in uh, the, the multi-tenant uh, office development that you're seeing the competition for a, the better amenity uh, driving the occupancy rate. So if one, one building has, has daylight access to their fitness center, that may, that may pull more tenants than one that's stuck down in the basement, or whether or not they have personalized delivery services, as Paul mentioned, um, allocated space on the first floor so they can get it on as they come in, whether that's dry cleaning or or coffee delivery for that matter. We, we really are a, seeing that. We do have an interesting list of things that we've done um, on projects and, and for buildings, but on the wellness side of things, uh, larger corporate users are, are finding places for uh, wellness rooms that bring um, wellness professionals into the office, whether that's chiropractic care, uh, massage therapy, uh, or um, a physician's assistant to come in and just kind of um, rotate throughout the, the week. Uh, we've also talked uh, with companies about providing spaces for haircuts, dropping off dry cleaning, uh, having a service that goes through the parking garage uh, to wash cars or even to fill up your gas tank. So you just mm -hmm. don't have to leave work to do those things. Uh, so the list is long and um, and interesting. But I'll also add, you know, perhaps as a counter to what Paul just said, 
that at the end of the day, there's not an endless bank account. So for each of our clients, there is an effective cost-benefit analysis that takes place uh, to determine, uh, you know, how best to address the culture of the company. And every company has a different culture. I'd like to hear from Paul some of the crazy things that that we've been putting in buildings. We've put bowling alleys in, uh, golf uh, simulation ranges. What have you seen, Paul? What's the craziest thing you've had to put in a building? I mean, we, I mean, we put in climbing walls. Um, uh, I don't know. I mean, I've listed some of those. I mean, the gas tank filling service that goes through the garage and looks at license plate numbers is pretty, pretty out there. That's a great example. I know some of the companies in the Bay Area offer that for their employees. Some of the tech companies in the San Francisco Bay Area do that. Yeah. But I mean, it, it, it's um, it's really kind of aligning the values of the employee with the values of the company, and finding great matches. Uh, it's no, it's the employee today is looking for not just a place. Uh, to do work and to get a paycheck, but to contribute to a larger goal that also aligns with their lifestyle. And that lifestyle could be working out or being able to ride your bike, or it could mean bringing your dog to work three days a week. So um, amenities really should align to the values and the lifestyles of the company and the, the employee kind of melding together. You know, it may take, this is Jim, it may sometimes take the form of time off to perform community service. It's not all about things that are tangible. Sure. Okay. Okay. Back to that rest element. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you. Now for my last question, and I think uh, the team has already answered this in, in, uh, in a larger sense, but the topic is workplace experience. We hear so much about that today. Companies are tr striving to create that great workplace experience, a seamless experience for those valued staff when they come in the door. You know, they're welcomed, they're supported, they're enabled, they're happy to be there. And so I think we pretty much have addressed the kinds of elements that influence and support that. But I'd welcome any additional thoughts um, that you might have about what that what that workplace experience really means and, and how to achieve it? Well, certainly many, many of the things that we've, we've listed here today are, are part of that. But one of the elements that we may have skipped over, and as we go through this process, probably the most important piece that we have as we're, we're uh, gathering data is, is listening and hearing what our clients have to say, because every one of our clients have, have a unique element that, that we can't pull something out of a drawer and just simply apply it to their space. And having empathy to understand from their perspective what is it that they are looking to do and what is it that, how do they define success? That's such an important piece to customizing any design to, to a specific client. But other than that, you think about seamless space uh, or really maybe no loss of concentration. And I think about the Apple campus where you can walk from one room to the other without worrying about any slight imperfection in a threshold that might cause you to lose concentration. You know, that being at the extreme, the other side of it is just personalization of your day. 
having access to tools and access to technology in a space that complements the physical needs, but also the digital technological side of, of uh, our daily activity. Yeah, it really is a case of us recognizing that the business drives the design, which in turn has an impact on the business. I like to say in Austin, it's about thinking of putting yourself in somebody else's flip-flops. And uh, uh, we deal with so many companies that are focused on uh, UX or CX uh, design, the user experience or the customer experience. And it's really kind of looking at each one of those groups and how they experience the space from the front door or the place that they actually uh, enter the, the work area and how they interact with uh, their teams, what they do, and allow for that workflow to, uh, to happen seamlessly. Uh, the more stumbles and steps that they have to do, the less uh, value that a user experience has. So we really think about instead of just looking at the plan and getting all your adjacencies right, of putting your, uh, yourself in that person's uh, shoes and walking through the day to figure out exactly how they're going to be able to uh, get things done. And then switch up and say, okay, so now I'm a customer coming in, um, uh, how do I experience the space? Am I going to be taken down weird corridors and then in this back area? Um, a lot of times we talk with uh, HR professionals specifically about this user experience of how a prospective employee comes into that lobby and how they interact with the receptionist or a digital pad uh, and how they're walked through that, that space to give them the most beneficial experience possible. So it's kind of taking in all of these components, but um, yeah, like I said, you know, putting yourself in somebody else's flip-flops. I love that. Uh, flip-flops are kind of out of season uh, here in Nashville today. They're <laughs> never out of season in Austin. Yeah. <laughs> well, gentlemen, thank you very much for uh, speaking with Cornet Global today. This has been great. It's been wonderful to hear um, all your excellent insights about the workplace. So, uh, Jim, Dave, and Paul, we, we thank you very much for uh, speaking with Cornet Global. All right. Thank, thank you for you having Jim. us. Yep. Appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. This concludes this episode of What's Next. Want to record a podcast of your own? Have an idea or point of view you'd like to share? Visit CornetGlobal.org to learn more.